Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Conversations with the Industry. I'm Elise Levy, and I am joined today by my co-hosts, Holly Henry and Larry Elevitz of the Investing Advice Roundtable. Today, we are speaking to Jeff Perrin of Agents Brokerage Perrin Associates. Jeff, thank you so much for being here today to talk with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, and, and I actually met Jeff last year through another advisor that I know very well who thought Jeff would be a really good resource for any questions I might have around Medicare. Um, so before we start our discussion with Jeff, Holly, would you mind giving us an introduction? Absolutely, I would be happy to. So Jeff has worked in the insurance industry since February of 2000, obtaining his license in April of the same year. His focus has been life and health insurance for individuals, family, and small group employers, but also works with disability income products and long-term care. Most recently, he took over the Medicare aspect of their business upon the retirement of his father in October of 2019. He is a self-employed independent insurance broker working with all major insurance companies. Their business has always been based on referrals from their existing clients and colleagues. The family business employs his mother and one of his two sisters, in the, and the other sister formerly worked for the business but now resides in Arizona, writing mostly Medicare plans. He has two children at home, age 9 and 14, and enjoys traveling particularly in Ohio to museums and historical sites. He is a summer kind of guy but appreciates all the seasons and the beauty of Ohio. He enjoys creating and admiring art and looking at antiques playing golf and attending every event and practice his kids are involved in, currently jazz band, concert band, marching band, basketball, baseball, and golf. That's a lot of events right there. <laughs> These are all packed weeks, which I very much enjoy. So uh, we, have, we have a good time with, uh, with the children. Yeah, beauty of the seasons. Yeah, you, you definitely have to have that right now with Ohio and this nice weather we have. Correct. I appreciate it all, but I definitely prefer the the days where it's uh, sh you know golf shirt is comfortable, but uh, not right now. That's for sure. Yeah. Right. Well, Jeff, thanks again. Um, you know, before we start, is there anything I guess we left out uh, that you want to tell us about yourself? I, you know, the, the only thing that uh, she didn't cover is that I love doing what I do. So, um, so I really enjoy helping the clients and I really feel like my job is to be an educator and then let my clients um, make the decision that they need for them. Um, and, uh, and it's just been a, a great career, a great run, and I'll continue to do this as long as I possibly can. I have a great time doing what I do. Yeah, great. It makes it makes it much easier when you enjoy it, for sure. It, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, what is the best way to learn about Medicare and and the options, and, and well, I guess what's the worst way? So the the best way is to um, I think call uh, call somebody that you trust and talk about the you know to talk about Medicare. Somebody in the industry like me. Um, but I also advise um, a great book that the government puts out called Medicare and You. It comes out each year and it is about, um, I'm going to say it's, oh, I've got one right here. It's 130 pages. Um, put PMS with the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Um, agents used to have copies of that on hand, but I, I'm not sure the best way to receive that. Maybe contact CMS or they may be available in local libraries. 
but that's a great read. Um, you can sit down, read that book over about three nights. Um, and um, it's a good read and it really teaches you all of the things that you need to know, but it leaves a lot of questions. And many people like to also talk to somebody to get a good um you know, interactive conversation about it as well when they come up with questions from the book. So I sat down with the book and a notepad and 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 started to learn it after already knowing it, but read the book that way with a notepad and wrote all my questions out, got all those answered. And, and um, now I feel like I can give you that information pretty well or to your clients. Yeah, that's great. You know, for someone like me who wouldn't want to read that book, uh, you know, but might want to reach out to someone like you, how would I find someone like you? Well, um, the best source of a Medicare representative in your area is probably by asking your friends who have already turned 65 what they did and, and who they did it with if they were happy. Um, I'm happy to advise anybody who calls me, whether they're in a state that I currently work in or not. Um, I just, I love what I get to do. And if they become a client, great. If they just have some questions, that's fine too. But for, for someone to find somebody like me, I think referrals is the best source. So ask your friends who retired before you, um, your family members potentially, and I'm not saying ask them what to do, but ask them who to use in your local area. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, obviously they can, you know, start with a financial advisor, you know, if they, their financial advisor works with someone like you as well, you know, that's always a good resource, but uh, yeah, those are some, some good ideas. Financial planner, property and casualty agent, potentially a banker, an attorney, a CPA. I think all of the professionals that you surround yourself with to, um, help you make decisions in your business and personal life, those, your property and casualty insurance agent, uh, those who I work with, that's who sends me business. So I would imagine that those same people are getting asked the question everywhere. Yeah, makes sense. So what are the steps towards getting Medicare coverage and what should someone do with like all the mail they receive after, you know, they turn 64 or even younger? So generally with the mail, the advertisements and such, I tell people to put them in a, in a paper bag and, <clears throat> and just, you know, kind of keep those around. Um, you can give them a, a quick look over. Most of it's just advertisements, but you want to make sure that um, anything that comes from the government and is actually from the government, not just an envelope made to look like it comes from the government, uh, but make sure that you're not throwing anything away because some people get their red, white, and blue card which is the, the basic fundamental first thing that you have to have in order um, to, even, to even apply for any uh, uh, Medicare Advantage or Medicare Supplement Plan. You have to have that uh, Medicare number. So make sure you don't throw that away because some people, it comes to them automatically right around their like 64 and a half to 65 years old. So watch for that red, white, and blue card. Um, and you want to make sure that you get your part A ready to go when you're 65, no matter what, most people get that. And then, um, and then your part B, um, if, if you are no longer going to have health insurance. So, but you have to have that red, white, and blue card. So don't throw it away. Yeah. I'm sure that's uh, pretty important nowadays. We throw away so much junk mail that, you know, make sure we don't throw away that important stuff. 
Correct. So at about 64 and a half years old, you know, you're going to start doing the research at 64 as you start to make your financial plan uh, for your retirement. Um, so, at, you know, around 64, even earlier, because of one of the things I think we're going to talk about uh, in a few, a few questions down the road, uh, you, you have to have this plan in place for retirement so that you don't get stuck with a penalty uh, called an early penalty. We're going to, I think, address that in a couple of minutes, but um, yeah, keep everything. Um, and then, and then I tell people bring that envelope or that bag to me and we go through it and I say, you know, you don't need this, you don't need this, uh, you know, and, um, and, and we get rid of the things that they don't need, which is probably most of it, but um, <laughs> I don't like them to throw. I don't want them to. I don't want to be the one who advises you to just throw everything away because you could throw something good in there. Good advice. Um, so, Jeff, what's the difference between original Medicare and Medicare Advantage? All right. So, original Medicare is. Um, I, I think to talk about it, it, the best way to talk about it is to say that most people in, are going to be eligible for Part A and Part B. Um, original Medicare pays for 80%, Part A pays for 80% of hospitalization, uh, and Part B is 80%, Medicare pays 80% of everything else. So what happens with the 20%? If you keep only original Medicare, you are responsible for the 20% of everything that Medicare uh, covers at their level of 80%, you're responsible for the other 20%. So if you just go with original Medicare, you could be responsible for bill 20% of your entire bill. If it's 200,000, that's $40,000 to you. To answer the, what is the difference between original Medicare or Medic and Medicare Advantage, um, the Advantage plans help you to cover that 20% but they utilize a deductible and co-insurance and co-pays to get there. Gotcha. Well, it's complicated and I, I understand why people need to work with you because I would be confused already. <laughs> but well, um, so that you at least have a baseline so that you can talk about mm -hmm. it. And then, um, and then some people like to, some people for other professionals in the industry, um, that we're all in mm -hmm. like to talk about it and then send somebody is send them off, you know, hand them off with sort of a, a little bit of knowledge to, to start. Yes, definitely. How does Medicare supplement or Medicare gap insurance play into everything from a decision-making standpoint when someone turns 65? Okay. So Medicare supplement and Medigap are simul are uh, the same thing. Those are two different ways to say the same thing. So a Medicare supplement, some people call it. Medigap insurance is what other people call it. Um, those are all private insurers that um, what happens with you. So you still have to have Medicare Part A and Medicare Part B. And then you buy a Medicare supplement. And the Medicare supplement pays for the 20% that Medicare does not pay. The insurance company pays all of that for you without any deductibles or co-insurance or co-pays in most cases. I should qualify that. That's a, the plan that I no, most normally put people on is a Medicare supplement plan G. 
Um, and a plan G pays essentially everything that Medicare doesn't pay. They pay the 20% on your behalf where Medicare pays 80%, your insurance company pays 20% and you pay none of it with the exception mm -hmm. of premium associated with that Medicare supplement. That sounds like a, a good plan for most people. It is, I believe. And the ones that you see on television, so there's advertisements all through November through March um, for various enrollment periods that are available um, outside of when you first turn 65 or when you first retire from a job and lose your health care coverage or your COBRA coverage ends from a, a job uh, that you had. Um, the um, So the Medicare supplement plan premium that goes with it, the ones that are advertised on television are generally, they're talking about Medicare Advantage plans, which have no premium, but then they have the deductible and co-pays mm -hmm. um, uh, supplement. I call that set it and forget it. You basically pay, you know, at 65, you basically right now, you would pay about $120 a month for a plan G and then no bills, no deductibles. Most everything would get covered under the insurance company would pay their 20% and Medicare pays their 80% and you're left with generally no bills at all. So that kind of plays into my next question. How does someone's income play into the cost of Medicare? So the cost of Medicare today, uh, and they changed it for 2023, I believe the number is 164 uh, $164.10 per month for 2023. Um, if you have a high income, you get charged what's called an IRMA penalty. And that penalty is a two-year look back on your income. So in 2023, they're using your 2021 income. If you made more than $97,000 in 2021 as a single, you will pay an IRMA penalty and it steps up from 97,000. Um, then there's uh, six tiers of, um, of different IRMA penalties. I think the number is six tiers and they, um, they can increase your premium for Medicare part B uh, substantially. So that's one of the planning pieces that should occur at, because we're looking now at your age 63, what income you had mm -hmm. at age 63 which is if you're retiring at 65 and taking Medicare at 65, that's where your penalty is going to be based off of. So that's where that two, you know, a year or two years of planning and talking to your financial planner become very important because um, if you can um, keep your income down two years prior uh, and then ongoing keeping your income down, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You, you want to have the high income. However, you don't want to get penalized by um, by the federal government for that and pay a higher premium for your Part B. Um, and then you also pay an IRMA penalty on the prescription drug plans, which are necessary uh, and have costs associated with them when you buy a prescription drug plan along with a Medicare supplement plan or Medigap. Um, mm -hmm. Medigap. Advantage plans have the prescription drug built right into them, and there, again, is generally no charge for um, a Medicare Advantage plan. Many of the Advantage plans have no premium with them. Okay, and you kind of started to get into this, but can an individual sign up for Medicare if they're still working and 
Furthermore, does it matter if they're working for a company versus a state or federal entity? So most people, in my experience, I've had very few people who are not eligible for Part A. Okay, so Part A is the first one that occurs, and that occurs when you turn 65. If you have been, you know, born in the United States, had a had a career, uh, you have you know certain number of quarters of working, uh, which most of us have, um, or are eligible by marriage to to have uh, Part A begin at age 65. And if you're still working at 65, your Part A and your health insurance plan would work together. Um, and it wouldn't matter where you were working as far as federal government, large employer, small employer, self-employed. Um, but what you need to look at then is if I sign up for part B and I don't take my insurance anymore through my employer, how much am I going to pay for part B with the IRMA penalty? If I am, uh, uh, you know, if I have that high of an income, and an insurance plan, either a Medicare supplement plan or the Medicare Advantage plan, what is my total exposure going to look like if I keep my group insurance or if I go ahead and switch and take Medicare with an associated Medicare Advantage or Medicare supplement plan? Mm -hmm. um, many times we can save you money uh, from your employer's plan. Um, let's if you would like me to do an example, I can, I can absolutely walk you through an example of a person turning 65, uh, at their employer. Yeah. Um, so, so the example that, that should be fairly easy is let's take a 64 year old, uh, woman who is retiring from a career. Um, and she, or I'm sorry, she's still going to work in her career, uh, 64 years old. She's becoming eligible for Medicare in a couple of months. Um, her insurance is a really nice plan at her employer, um, and it's got a $2,500 deductible, we'll say, and co-pays for doctor visits and uh, uh, you know, a medication uh, prescription drug plan on there. And the employer is required generally to pay 50% of the employee's premium. So at 64, a female is probably, for that type of plan, going to be somewhere in the $600 a month range, $700 a month range. Um, and let's say the employer is paying half, uh, just half. Some employers will pay more. And that's when it really gets, you have to start comparing um, uh, a little bit more in depth if somebody's employer pays 100% of their employee's coverage. But at 50%, the employee is now contributing $350 of this $700 a month plan that I've hypothetically developed for her. Um, so she's paying $350 a month. The employer is paying $350 a month. She turns 65. Now she suddenly becomes eligible for, uh, and we're assuming no IRMA penalties, she suddenly becomes eligible for a Medicare Part B at $164.10 a month plus a Medicare um, supplement plan at $110 a month and a little drug plan on the side that's going to be less than $20 a month. So those three pieces then add up to about $300 a month. And she's got essentially no deductible if she's gone with the Medicare supplement plan G. She has $164.10 that she pays for uh, Part B. She's got $110 on the Medicare plan G and $20 mm -hmm. on the prescription drug plan. 
and she will basically see no bills except for the pharmacy copays that she would pay. And um, generally, those are fairly nominal. So she's getting out, and then you know she's not got any exposure to the deductible that she had on the employer's plan. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're on an ACA plan, so an individual who is self-employed and has an Affordable Care Act plan, their premiums are even higher than that for plans that are way worse than that in terms of higher deductibles and their their uh, HMOs versus PPOs. So, um, so an ACA plan, if you're under 65 and on healthcare.gov or what people call Obamacare, um, you're going to automatically come off, which is good because you can't keep a, an ACA plan after age 65. So, so that would be somebody that is self-employed, has their own coverage. That person's going to have to come off, but they're going to be very happy about that um, unless they... <laughs> Uh, uh, unless they have a tax credit, which is a whole different beast um, for under 65 folks. So um, for, for a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's more of a deep dive. <laughs> I'm assuming it's part of your job to kind of assist these people into coming up with a, a plan for their health insurance and kind of figuring out which one would be financially better for them and which one will cover because Let's assume that 64-year-old had dependents that were on her insurance coverage. Um, do you go over even what like COBRA could look like for them? Absolutely. So we, uh, what I will do is um, somebody comes to me and, and like you said, she, uh, this person retires. She's got a couple of dependents. Um, I look at all sides of the equation and I, I, I'd like to attack it from all facets is, is the way I refer to it. So I'll go in from one side, which is turning 64 and what that's going to look like. Then we go into, okay, we've got, you know, uh, two children. We have to deal with them. Uh, they're 22 years old and 24 years old. Um, and then, um, and then, yeah, so we look at how Cobra would play out and, and I like Cobra but it is really circumstantial. I mean, it really depends on your circumstances, I should say, it, it, because retiring in June is the perfect time to retire if you have COBRA eligibility. And the reason is that gives you 18 months of COBRA, which takes you to the end of the first year, 12, 13, the first year, and then also the end of the next year for a, a full 18-month run. And then January 1st of that following year is when you would um, um, need to address the next phase of coverage that you're going to do after COBRA. Um, people think COBRA is expensive, but it's technically, it's really not. They can only add a 2% fee to your premium. Your employer charges that 2% fee, and um, but they can. So, but you're now responsible for what the employer was paying on your behalf before, plus what you were paying on your behalf. So the hypothetical that we had going earlier was $700 a month. The employee was paying $350. The employer was paying $350. Now the employee pays all $700 themselves. Um, but yes, I take all that into consideration, whether they're coming off of an ACA plan, a COBRA plan, a group health insurance plan, and when that would all run out. Um, and what the total exposure is. So exposure to me is premiums, deductibles, co-insurance, co-pays, and really the last one is called max out-of-pocket, sometimes referred to as MOOP, M-O-O-P, maximum out-of-pocket. So we look at that number for an individual or for the family, plus all of your premiums. And you know now we've got 
the woman's two children that we talked about um, on one plan with two deductibles. Now we have the the woman who on a new on a plan and she has her deductible and her exposure. We add all that up and then I can hand it to the financial planner and say, here, their exposure is thirty four thousand dollars of that. Eighteen thousand dollars is premium. And the balance is in various deductibles for the two children and for herself. That's not a very well orchestrated example because um, because sixteen thousand would be a very odd number of for deductibles for that balance. But but that's kind of the number I hand to the to the planner. These premiums we know are going to go out the door, and here's the rest of their exposure that they might need to cough up if something you know. Let's the three of them are in a horrible car accident this is what they're exposed to i feel like and and we do this uh elise and larry not with with our clients you've got you've got to plan ahead and from the conversation that i'm hearing is it's important for people to come meet with you way in advance and um planning is definitely essential in in medical about age 60 generally and a lot of times it's just laying the foundation um, they know it's well in advance, but they want to get the ideas rolling. And I think one of the things that you you don't want to be shocked by is the Irma penalty. And and I'll leave that to you and, and Larry to try and um, manage that for the people who come to me and they don't have a um, an Irma penalty uh, if they can avoid that. Okay. Well, I'm going to pivot on you for just a second. Um, I know Larry said you mentioned silver sneakers to him previously. Can you tell us about that and any advantages with Medicare people might not be as familiar with? So silver sneakers, it, you know, it was a big deal to people um, really, I don't know, eight to 10 years ago. It was like every old person everywhere, excuse me, every person that is, uh, 65 plus the um, experienced people uh, were always talking about silver sneakers. And so everybody would come to you and they wanted to have silver sneakers plans, uh, you know, a plan that included silver sneakers. It's a fitness program. It is on some Medicare supplements included in some Medicare supplements included in some Medicare Advantage plans. And it allows you a gym membership and uh, classes that are for people who are members of Silver Sneakers, and in those gym classes, people can pay for those at the gym, you know, that don't have Silver Sneakers, but it is included for people who do. So YMCA is one of the number uh, one gyms, I think, that people are looking for to have in their plan. And so I, I, we do get asked a lot about Silver Sneakers or a comparable um, uh, add-on to a Medicare Advantage or Medicare Supplement. Um, I do not like people to make decisions on the plan based on silver sneakers, but it just was always a topic of conversation and, um, it still is today. So it's apparently relevant when you, when you get to that experience level of 65, you're apparently, um, you want that, uh, membership in there. So we, we, we do look at plans and, and call around to gyms and find out, you know, what gym is available and what classes specifically and, and then there's comparable plans that are just not quite as good as silver sneakers. We, um, but they're attached to some other plans that I represent. So uh, we have to call and find out, you know, well, how does this compare to silver sneakers? And, and I, I do all that as well for the clients if they're very interested in that. I love that. I'm going to have to tell my dad about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what if I have um, good RX? How does that work with or instead of Medicare? Which makes more sense most of the time? 
So um, it's, you know, it really, what I've been telling people the last few years since GoodRx became a thing is you, the pharmacists are so helpful anymore, which I don't know how they can be because I know that it's a stressful job as a pharmacist, um, especially in the hospitals, but, but even in the retail level, um, but they are so good at telling you the best way to buy your prescription. If you show them your, uh, prescription drug card, if you buy a Medicare supplement or your Medicare Advantage plan and you have the, you know, that has the prescription drug card built into it generally, um, they will tell you, you know, we have a stock of good RX cards right over there. You probably should buy this medicine, you know, this way instead. Um, so you can just tell them at the, at the pharmacy window, you can just ask, Hey, would I be better off using a good RX card? They'll run the numbers for you and, and look at, you know, it makes more sense to have it apply to your deductible and use your, your, um, your drug plan that you, that you have. Okay. And how do you get paid and, and why would someone work with you directly? So, um, I do not charge any kind of fees. Everything for me is paid through the companies in commissions. Um, I don't look at the contracts that I sign for uh, the commissions aspect of our business. So that keeps me unbiased as to um, uh, who pays me what for what plan. Some of it may be established by the government. I try to just put that out of my head and do the right thing for the client. Um, there's no fee to work with me. Um, I love answering questions and taking time. I answer the phone at nine o'clock at night if that's when it's best for you to to talk to me. Um, we'll talk about you know, and and there's no no fee at all. And I just I get paid from the insurance companies, and I'm not um, I am not uh, locked in with any one carrier. I represent you know I pick three or four carriers each year that are the most competitive in my region of most of my clients. But I've been known to. Um, get a license out of state to help somebody in Oregon or Pennsylvania. Um, uh, don't like to work in Florida very much. Just the, it's tough to get a license there. Um, but, but I will work and do whatever I can to help somebody that comes to me. And if it's just answering questions, that's fine with me. Uh, if they don't write it through me, they'll probably refer me to someone else that I'll ultimately write a plan for someone else. So I'm just glad to help when people call Okay, so I've got to tell you about my dad's 82 and Medicare is the beast, as you know, and it can be very confusing. And so with that, I feel like it allows a lot of spam, a lot of people trying to scam the elderly out of money. And so he gets all these calls, he gets all these letters and his poor agent is like earning every penny from this man because anytime he gets something and he's not for sure. What does he do? He picks up and he calls his agent wanting to know if it's valid or not. Um, because apparently he can't ask any of us that's his family. It's his agent. And I think his agent's on on speed dial. So do you get a lot of those type of calls? I get some. I have a few clients who really want hand-holding. And, so the, and they want to ask those questions to somebody and get a straight answer. And, um, you know, sometimes you look at your phone and you're like, wow, again, okay, <laughs> try and just um, disarm the, you know, diffuse the situation. Um, and, but it's, I, you know, you never minimalize it because I do feel like there are a lot of people out there. In fact, um, 
there's a lot of information that gets floated around by mail, by email, of course, by phone calls. Um, even my father, who was in the business for 55 years, um, at towards the end, when you know he was um, you know, losing faculties with dementia and, and Alzheimer's, but I think everybody at that age, at 82, is not as sharp as they were. I mean, some people you run across and you're like, wow, you are 82 years old and still... Uh, or 90 years old, they can be, but also at 68, you can be very confused by these things. You know, it really, it's person specific to, to, and how much people, some people just don't like to do insurance. And so they think, oh yeah, there is a better deal. They're on the phone with me right now. This, the better deal is on the phone. Generally, it's probably not. Um, right. So call your agent with, you know, don't buy anything from anybody over the phone. Um you know, until you've talked to them like this and had a real conversation with somebody that you can get back to every time. If they call you and, you know, it's a call center, you don't want to be asking them questions because they don't have any skin in the game. Right. Absolutely. Um, I have enjoyed this conversation about Medicare a lot. But before we let you off the hook, I've got one more random question for you. So what's a unique oh, okay. <laughs> that you have that other people may not know about you. All right. Um, so I, um, when I buy something, I end up buying a second one and then I become a collector. So <laughs> I'll give you an idea. Um, antique maps, vintage pens. Uh, and the strangest one though, I think to the, the one that takes the cake is, um, is vintage traffic lights. Really, I love it. <laughs> yeah. There's one in my in in my living room. So um, on a, on a little stand that that can run a cycle that looks like it's uh, like it was just taken down off the street. So a little bit unique, but if you go on Facebook, you can find a group of other uh, like minded friends. So I I'm on a traffic light group on Facebook. I I feel like I need one of those traffic lights in my living room for my kids so they can tell my mood. Like if it's yeah. red, like don't talk to me. If it's that's yellow, a, see the caution. That's a great idea. Um, <laughs> you do podcasts. You could put it on red outside your door so that nobody would come in. Uh, yeah. Yellow when you're red, and green when it's good and good time to come in and talk to mom. There you go. Love it. <laughs> I think your uh, kids would really like that, Holly. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, thanks, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Uh, and we hope that everyone enjoyed the podcast with Jeff, found it as interesting and informative as we did. Uh, if you're ready to begin working with a financial advisor, please reach out to us via social media. Also, be sure to subscribe to our Spotify to listen to future podcast episodes and check out our YouTube page for more of our video content. Disclosure statement. I'm Holly Henry with River Valley Wealth Management. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA and SIPC. I'm Larry Elovitz with Redwood Financial Group. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA slash SIPC. I'm Elise Levy with Legacy Wealth Planning Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC, investment advice offered through Legacy Wealth Planning, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only 
and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.